G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 48 of the Outback Mind podcast. Thanks for joining in. The, I suppose, the essence of this uh, podcast is to try and sort of raise awareness for, for men's mental health and well-being primarily. Oh, I know there's lots of women that listen into this too, so I'm very grateful for that. But um, today's guest uh, is a gentleman by the name of Michael Luria. Now, I've been observing Michael and what he does for a while, and um, he's a very, very good um, guide to be able to help men um, sort of unpack things that are uh, troubling them uh, that may be keeping them stuck uh, and help them move towards uh, a more uh, aligned future I guess and he does it very well and um, he basically has got his own really uh, unique journey which I'm sure he'll go through but um, you know lots of uncertainty as an individual um, failed relationships uh, financial problems all the sorts of things that uh, the trouble is in modern life and you know he's been there and done that and certainly um hit rock bottom a few times and sort of come out the other side but last time he he did come out and he did stay on the positive side of side of things and i think that was his real calling because it's actually taken him to where he is now and to be able to um, to develop some some programs and pathways for guys to sort of step into their masculinity let's say um so to speak it's more about sort of finding you know who we are as men and sort of uh, holding on to that a little bit um to be able to sort of uh you know step out of our shadows and become the the men that we're meant to be and that's sort of what michael specializes in with my sort of coaching i sort of uh, do a bit of uh work to to tap into masculine feminine uh, so it's a little bit different than what michael does but um certainly uh, i'm sure that everyone's going to learn a lot from from his own personal journey and also you know how he goes about um, you know, helping people achieve what they want to achieve and become successful a little bit better in life with what they want to try and do uh, to make their the rest of their lives happy, happy, healthy and well and sort of out of the, the, the midst of uh, and the grips of uh, depression and anxiety and a lot of the things that hold us back. So he's very good at uh, being able to help people uh, that have got some self-doubt to be able to move through that and become really confident and, uh, and achieving great things. So I'm sure you'll enjoy our conversation. Just wanted to, again, make special mention to Green Nutritionals who support the podcast as our primary partner. Now, they make green uh, superfoods of, of various types um, to support our physical and mental health. I'd really encourage you to jump on their website. It's uh, greennutritionals.com.au. We also get a bit of support from B Primal Minimalist Footwear, um, great shoes. If you want to check them out, uh, let it be primal.com.au. Thanks for joining in. We'll get Michael on and enjoy. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm sure you'll find it pretty fascinating. Michael Laurier, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Thanks, Aaron. It's really awesome to be here, man. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, grateful, uh, grateful to, to to come along and have a chat, mate, and uh, and share your story and, and wisdom and what you're doing now. I think you're doing uh, some tremendous work out there in the men's space, which is you know really needed and. Uh, the more support we can get guys uh, or provide guys that are sort of seeking to make changes in their life like you have, um, I think having a lived experience and uh, the ability to be able to sort of recognise where people at, uh, are at is uh, really important. So really, uh, really, really grateful to, uh, to, to, to get to know you and obviously uh, we're going to talk about your own journey and sort of, you know, what you're doing uh, as part of this podcast, mate. But, um, you yeah, know, can you map it out for us? Um, 
the upbringing, what it was like. I think you had a pretty uh, pretty good uh, family upbringing and uh, all that type stuff and it sort of led you down a path of trying to find yourself, I suppose, as you got uh, a little bit older and uh, moved into adult life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I've got no complaints at all about my upbringing, family life and all of that. I uh, grew up in a, in a big Italian family in Sydney, Australia, and, um, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Very loving parents. Um, very traditional relationship my parents had, you know, back in the, back in the 70s into the 80s and, and whatever, and it was very much about, you know, dad went out and worked and, you know, did, did the providing thing. And mum sort of looked after myself and my brother. And then when we got a little bit older and we were kind of in um, in the beginnings of high school, you might say, then she went out and she got a part-time job and she started, um, you know, contributing that way. But uh, but very traditional upbringing um, with all of that and felt very loved, supported, um, heard, respected everything as I was growing up. So, and, you know, big, loving, Italian, connected, close family. So that was all, that was pretty cool as well. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, so absolutely no complaints. And it's interesting, you know, because a lot of men that I come across, and, um, they, they, they usually can connect their adversity in adult life with some kind of trauma or some kind of adversity or something that happened in their childhood. Mm. And it's, it's interesting to note that that hasn't happened for me. I created all my own stuff. When I, when I was in teenagers, which we can get into if you like, but it was very much around, I think there's, there's, there's something to be said about having too good mm. an upbringing, if you like, because then when you get into teenagers and, and, and older teenagers, you have no idea how to face adversity. You have no idea how to deal with problems that come up with in life. Mm. And so you're, you know, I was very nonchalant with it all. I was very, you know, fly by the seat of my pants and just see what happens. And I was very unintentional with everything because I think I had a lot of stuff just handed to me on a silver platter. Yeah. Not literally, but, you know, figuratively speaking. And because there was no adversity to deal with, I didn't know how to deal with problems as I got a little bit older and as I got into sort of the ages of 15, 16. And we know what happens with boys around there. Um, puberty, girls, drugs, alcohol, all that sort of stuff, right? And I slipped into this world of of full-on indulgence in all of that. Mm. And so where that really led me was, and, and of course, my parents were going, no, you're not doing that. You can't do that. You're not going out. You're not going to see that person. You're not going to hang out with those people. And of course, what did I do? As most teenagers do, I rebelled. And I yeah. said, "No, you're not going to. You're not going to control me. I'm, I'm going to live my life. I'm old enough. I know what I'm doing." And so, of course, of course, we don't know what we're doing at 16, 17, but we think we do. And um, yeah, and I and I started to pave my path, which wasn't the most healthy one. Mm-hmm. What yeah. did it look like, mate? Were you uh, abusing any substances at all, or? Uh, marijuana and alcohol. It was yeah. marijuana and alcohol. I didn't. I didn't get. In, I didn't really get stuck into any hard drugs. Mm. It was. It was marijuana and alcohol. Mm. But, but uh, then at seventeen, I got myself a full time job, and then I started hanging out with people older than me. And uh, at seventeen, I was hanging out with people in their early to mid twenties, and of course, they were further along on their journey of alcohol abuse and substance abuse and whatever. And so. They brought me into the fold and therein began my journey of, 
of really living incredibly unconsciously yeah. and and rebelling against my parents because they were always trying to bring me back into the fold in a really loving way, right, because they could see the path I was heading down, they could see where that led, and they obviously didn't want that for me, and so they were trying to bring me back into the fold, and I resisted every attempt at doing that. And so that then led me to – so I grew up in Sydney. That then led me to Victoria – Geelong in Victoria to be exact mm. and I did all of that through work so at the time I was working for Harvey Norman mm. and I was one of the first people to help to open the very first Harvey Norman computer superstore on Parramatta Road in Albany Sydney mm-hmm. when the, the very the very very first one back in the day so that was like I would say that's 1993 or thereabouts or 94. I know the around one. Around there somewhere. Yeah, know the one. What's that? I know the one. I actually worked for the organisation myself in their second store in Shepparton, I believe. Uh, Did you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we can talk about some drinking stories uh, there too. <laughs> yeah, what are the chances? Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, that was, that was an experience. And so then, of course... That was all I needed, right? I had a good excuse, a good reason now to move away from my family. And so I moved away and I, and I moved literally to stay a thousand kilometers away. And for me, this was like a new lease on life. Mm. And I could be independent. And I, not that I ever wasn't independent and I wasn't being controlled. And my parents weren't doing the wrong thing by me. They were actually doing all the right things. But as a 17 year old young man, you don't see that. You just see the, the restrictions and you feel controlled and you feel suppressed and repressed, right? Mm. And and so I moved and then ended up meeting somebody in that store. So I'd been promoted to 2IC of that store in Geelong, the first Geelong store that opened. Met somebody there and we ended up beginning a relationship and subsequently got married. Mm. And then over the next over the next 12 years or or thereabouts. So we stayed together for 12 years. And over that period of time, because of where I had come from, I'm not talking about my family upbringing, I'm talking about what I created in mid to late teenage years. Because of what I created, I continued to live very unconsciously and unintentionally. And every choice that I made was unconscious and unintentional. Mm. And I really wasn't making conscious choices from a good place. Everything was about still about rebelling against my parents Mm. because when they met uh, this woman who ended up becoming my first wife, they did not approve of her. Mm. And and so, of course, what did I do? I married her and had children with her, right? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Unbelievable, yeah. So, so, and, and when I look back, like, when I look back, it was to spite my parents. Mm. Really, it, it really was in my early 20s up until I think it was around 25 or 26 when I realised by then the mistakes that I had been making. Mm. Uh, and, and by then, by then we had two children and I felt stuck and I was brought up in the Catholic religion as well. And so being brought up in a Catholic religion, it's like marriage is for life. Mm. Once you get married... That's it. And especially once you have children, you don't go anywhere. You do the right thing. A man just does the right thing. He stays in the marriage. He looks after his children. He provides. He protects. He supports. He does all those things. Mm. And he just figures it out within himself. And he has to be strong and he's just got to figure his shit out, right? Mm. And so I did that. 
I did that, Aaron. I did that then for another, say, six years, right? And during those six years, I became obesely overweight. So, so context around this, when I got married, I was around about 80-odd, 88 kilos or thereabouts. By the time we divorced, I was 138 kilos, Jeez. right? Yeah. And it was solid fat. It was, there was, it was, this wasn't 138 kilos of muscle. This was fat mm. because this was abusing food, abusing alcohol, beer, living a very sedentary life, like mm. literally sitting in the car all the time, either sitting in the car, driving around, doing things for work, or I was sitting on the couch. Mm. Yeah. And, and, of course, depression, anxiety, all that stuff started to kick in. And, yeah, and I was not a good husband. I was not a good father. Um, and then, of course, I felt like a failure around all of that as well. So then, of course, when you've come from this loving family and then you've created these, this next, the next 10 years of your life between the ages of about 15 or 16 to 25, 26 or thereabouts, and you go and you look at yourself in, your mirror, in the mirror and you go, what the hell happened? Yeah over the last 10 years, what the hell has happened? Mm. And look at my life and look at who I've become. What am I meant to do now? And it's like, well, you're meant to just stay in the marriage. You're meant to stay in the marriage. You're meant to continue doing what you're doing and just try to make the best of it. And so I did that for the next six years until it became a situation where it wasn't something I wanted to continue to experience. And so my wife and I at the time we we separated, and that and by then I was just trying to think how old I was. I would have been 32, 33, somewhere around there. Mm. And so that then began an even deeper downward spiral, because then of course what happens? We don't really we can't ever predict what happens after separation and divorce. Mm. And you start out doing these things with the best of intentions. We'll continue to maintain good quality communication, we'll do the right thing by the kids. You know, we're not going to fight about money. There's all this sort of stuff. You come to these agreements at the beginning. And then, of course, as time goes on and things happen uh, and, and you haven't yet delved into those deeper parts of yourself that you really need to in order to understand who you are as an individual mm. and, and just how to behave as a good quality human being, mm. you, you create unconscious results and so what was happening is that both of us were coming from this place of being a victim of the circumstances and the circumstances were divorce and financial struggle and family court and child support and all this sort of stuff mm. and so over the next two years my whole from a from a psychological perspective a financial perspective um every physical mental emotional everything just took a downward spiral until it got to the last, probably the last, say, three months of this catalytic event, which I'll talk about in a second, which is my almost suicide. Mm. So I got to about three months there, and what I'd created or helped to co-create with my ex-wife was this experience of I hadn't seen my children for almost 18 months by then because I just was, I was an angry person now. Yeah. All of this stuff had happened in my life. I was an angry person, so I was not behaving well. And so as a result of that, you don't show up well at family court. You don't conduct yourself well in conversations with the ex-wife. You don't. You just don't act like a very good quality human being. And so where that led me was 
uh, unemployment, financial struggle, about to be evicted from the property that I was renting, etc., uh, etc. Et right. Mm. So then this began this this next downward spiral, which went for about say almost three months. And in those three months, I had to I was told I had to go and do anger management classes. That that was what the magistrate at the family court told me to do. Anger management classes. I had to see a psychologist or a counsellor. Mm. Um, for my anger stuff, right? There was no job, there was no income. Uh, and so what did I do? I thought, okay, well, maybe it's a good thing now if I just drown my sorrows. Mm. And so I spent the next two and a half months with alcohol and food in my apartment, literally trying to drown my sorrows mm. and and feeling incredibly sorry for myself. Mm. Until... One morning, until one Sunday morning, and I think you said to me, you listened to the first episode of my podcast, and this is where I'm going to share this, right? So one Sunday morning, it was about 7 a.m., and I was I was drunk. I was drunk on a Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, and I sat up in bed, you know, sort of back and forth, swaying back and forth, and I remember, I still remember this moment because this was, the, this was a catalytic event, this was, and it was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I can't go on like this. And besides, if even if I do get to see my children again, this is not the version of me that I want them to see. And I and I and and they're better off without me. Mm. And that was what was going through my head. My children are better off without me, given who I've become. Mm. And so, half bottle of wine. By that time, I was on antidepressants and also had sleeping pills and anti-anxiety medications wealth, and that was all as a result of my own mental and emotional struggles, plus mm. the fact that then there was insomnia on top of that as well. Mm. So I had one handful of sleeping pills, antidepressants, and and, uh, and anti-anxiety medication. The other one was a half bottle of wine, and I was about to down them both. Jeez. And then in the corner of my eye, I saw my phone, the screen of my phone light up, and I glanced over quickly. I couldn't read it properly, but I glanced over quickly and I saw enough to see there was a message from my son who was like somewhere between the ages of about 10 and 12 at that point. And I didn't know that he had a phone. He must have just gotten a phone. And he sent me this message and he said, Dad, we love you and we miss you and we can't wait to see you again. Mm. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, Aaron, in that moment, it was like I had this moment of clarity. This moment of clarity, it's like, hang on a second. I will see my children again and they'll see me again and and like I can't do this to them. Mm. I can't I can't take my my own life and do this to them. So this is up to me now and I have to just put myself back together, fix my life, and so when I do see them again, that I'm the version of myself that I want them to experience. Mm. Yeah. And so that began the journey that I that uh, led me to where I am now. Amazing, mate! Um, isn't it? Isn't it uh, incredible um, how how you know you you obviously were uh, at a point where you're at really the bottom of the pendulum there. I like to talk about, and you you really didn't know how to get out of it, like booze and and the you know locking yourself away and isolating yourself from the world is easy, but. At the end of the day, um, you know, you are in this sort of cloud of, uh, of just uh, uh, unconsciousness, as you say. Um, it's very easy to, uh, to slip into that too. But um, 
these things happen for a reason, Michael. Like, you know, that phone call, that, that's, that's really universal energy speaking to you, you know. And, and when we need things in our lives and we, um, we, we call upon them, they usually appear. And it happens all the time. It's just whether we're actually aware of it or not, you know. Um, uh, so that, that happened, obviously, uh, for, for all the right reasons. And obviously, you're doing the work that you are today as a consequence of that particular moment. So you've got to be extremely grateful for that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I reflect back on that now, and it's like, wow, I'm so grateful that I had all of those experiences. Mm. And yes, you're totally right. Like, I'm, I'm not the most religious person anymore. From a, from a, you know, I don't necessarily follow the Catholic religion anymore. But I will say that, you know, you talked about universal energies, and I'm so all over that. Right, universal mm. energy source, whatever people want to call it. Even if you're religious and you want to call it God, it doesn't matter. In that moment, there was some kind of intervention. You might call it a divine intervention. Whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. But in that moment, there was some something out there that kind of connected, brought me back, brought me back to where I needed to be. Mm. And it's like, no, you're not finished here. You still have work to do. Your children need you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, your mindset was going towards your kids primarily, and that's obviously... Um, you know, gone to them to be able to, to, to make contact as, as it did. And, and I see evidence of this sort of stuff happening all the time. Now, you, you may you may think that's like hard to believe, but at the end of the day, if you're putting your energy and intention somewhere, usually it'll come back. Um, you know, in a, in a, in, yeah, if you would have experienced that uh, maybe in other circumstances, but uh, certainly um, I've been able to um, tap into that, um, you know, without any force and uh, the ability to be able to, you know, just just have your intention in a certain area and obviously things come from that. Mm. Some people might say that's that's also connected with intuition as well. Yeah, absolutely. When Once your third yeah. eye is awakened or, you know, you've got the ability to be able to utilise, um, you know, higher levels of consciousness, then then that's accessible. You know, all the time, primarily if you are if you're able to, you know, uh, work yourself towards that, which I'm sure we'll we'll touch on a bit later. But um, uh, mate, tremendous. Uh, you know, to be able to to move through that stage, and how did life evolve for you after that particular moment? So what happened there was, it, and it's it's an interesting it's an interesting paradox that happens within seconds of just about to taking just about to take your own life, and then choosing not to, because the paradox was for me was that for both reasons to take my life and then not to was 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 all for the best thing for my children, mm. right? And so this is what a lot of people don't actually understand when you're in that moment of. Like I'm actually going to take my own life. Mm. People, people have said, people have said, not to me necessarily, but just in general, that it's a coward's way out. Mm. Suicide is a coward's way out, and and you know, perhaps in some cases it is, but many many times it's not. For me, and I'll just say, like for me in that moment, I actually had convinced myself that that was the best thing for my children. Mm. I actually convinced myself of that. And then when I got the text message, that in the next moment, it became evident that that was going to be a mistake. Yeah. Right? That my children actually needed me. And so then I went on this journey, to answer your question, to really, as Jordan Peterson said, just put myself back together again. Mm. And that, that involved a lot of things, Aaron. It involved a lot of things. I had to, number one, 
I had to clean up the mess that I had created in my own house over the previous two or three months because I hadn't, and it's disgusting, right? Like I was living like a pig. There were empty chip packets and pizza boxes and um, alcohol bottles and, you know, whatever, all around the house. Mm. So nothing had been done for two or three months. And so this was about making my bed, cleaning my room, as Jordan Peterson says too, right, and cleaning the rest of my house and then actually going out and putting together the rest of my life. And that involved going to see the real estate agent explaining to them what had happened and pleading for more time to catch up with my rent because the Friday before that Sunday morning, I'd received an eviction notice Mm. in the mail, right, in the mail or under the door or whatever it was. And it's like, what the hell? Like, I can't see my kids. I've got no job. I'm about to be evicted. And I forgot to add something in that. About a month prior to that, I also declared bankruptcy as well. Jeez, unreal. So, so all of these things, all of these things coagulated into this experience of what the hell is the point? Mm. What's the point, right? And so this was about putting everything back together again. And so. I went and saw the real estate agent. They were very understanding, very compassionate, full of empathy, and they helped me. And they basically said, we're going to give you three months to catch up, but in three months, you have to have caught up with everything you're overdue, plus be at the very least up to date with everything. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, cool. That's a lot of money in a short period of time without a job. So the next thing was to go get a job. And I basically just went door to door. This was on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of the next week. I really, really, I was, I had this emotional impact, Darren, from that experience of getting that text message. And it's like, this is going to have to be bang, 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 one thing after another. No excuses, no reasons, no justifications, no blame, no finding fault, no nothing. It's time to just take action and put everything back together again. Mm. And so I did all of those things. Not that it was easy, it was hard. But I did all of those things. I got a job. I caught up with my rent. And over the next three months, I got myself back into a reasonable position again on most levels. Mm. And so during that period of time as well, there was also an appearance in family court. And so the magistrate basically looked at me and said, well, you look a little bit better than last time. This is what you have to do. And it was another anger management program. Right. And it was another, it was going to be another six months, oh, sorry, three months of not seeing my children. And so then three months went, did my anger management pro- program, um, fronted up at court again, and the magistrate said, okay, cool, you've been to see the counsellor every time, you've done your own anger management process, now you can see your children supervised in a contact centre for 90 minutes once a fortnight. Mm. And it was all very humiliating, Aaron, right? But, yeah. but you just do what you have to do. And so I did that, and about six months later, with all of that happening, uh, we went through the contact centre. That was all pretty good. And then I got to see my children properly again. Every second weekend, for the weekend, not to say it wasn't without its challenges, because it was. Um, There was still a lot of pushback from my ex-wife at the time, um, because for various reasons. But, yeah, then it became about just continuing to try to become the best version of myself possible. Mm. And so at that point where, I, where I'm like, okay, well, I've had this job now for six months. I'm in the clear when it comes to family court. I'm seeing my kids again. I'm keeping up to date with all of my bills, my rent, my everything. I'm living 
a reasonably decent existence. So now it became about how do I make the best of that experience, right? Because I was still inside, I was still suffering. Mm. Inside, I was still suffering. I hadn't yet come to the point where I was at peace with what had happened. Because it, 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 it all became about putting my life back together, seeing my kids and giving them a good experience of me again. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me again. Mm. And so then I thought, maybe I can go out and get my counselling diploma. Maybe if I do that, then perhaps I can help other men who might be going through the same sort of thing. And so I did that. I went out and I got my, I started my studying my counselling diploma. And when you do that sort of stuff, when you start studying things like that, you begin to do your own inner work as part of the process. Mm. And so that's what I did. And so that process over 12 months was not just about getting my diploma of counselling, which I did. It was about really facing myself and the consequences of some of my actions and the behaviours and it became about apologising to my parents and seeking connection with them again mm. and, you know, lots of different things along that journey. And so I did that, got my counselling diploma, started facilitating men's groups, started seeing men one-on-one. By then, I was actually okay mm. and I'd come to a point where I could help other people. And so then, you know, then, Aaron, over the next say over the next 17 years or so, which brings us to where we are now, it has just been an ongoing journey for me of self-awareness, self-discovery, diving into the deepest parts of myself, um, doing some really amazing shadow work along the way, getting more qualifications, adapting my processes. So I've got, I've studied psychology and neuroscience and neuropsychology as well as counselling. Mm. And I've done lots of things around shadow mastery and there's all these things that I've kind of, all these feathers that I added to my cap along the way, which has then sort of evolved into two years ago when I realised, over two years ago now, when I realised that these men, some of them were doing the work, but most of them were, were scared. Most of them didn't want to admit that there was anything about them that needed help because we, we have this attitude, it's a very egoic attitude where we kind of go, no, it's good, I've got it, she'll be right. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, when it's, when it's really not. And a lot of men just don't want to admit that to themselves. And I was in that, I, I could put myself in that category years ago as well. And so I thought, how can I create something that men would connect to? right, that connect with and not make it feel like they're seeing a counsellor, a psychologist or a life coach, mm. right? And so this is where I came up at the, the, at, the, at the beginning stages of what eventually became Forging Excalibur, mm. which is which is the book and the brand and all the stuff that I do now. And then I, along the way, I became a student. Over the years, I became a student of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey and all the allegory around that mm. and Carl Jung and all of his teachings. And so... I really created this fusion of Excalibur, King Arthur, the Knights of the Round Table, Merlin, the Lady of the Lake, um, uh, the journey that men went on to become knights, the Knights of the Round Table, and then the hero's journey, right? And I really created this fusion of all of that, and that's what I do now. Mm. And men just love it because it's cool, but they still get to do the real deep work as well without feeling like they're sitting in a counselor's office. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that that's that's pretty well key, mate. Because we all have that fear 
within us, or we had that fear within us, you and I, and there's lots of guys out there that are listening and probably in that boat at the moment that, um, yeah, they can do it on their own, but uh, it's very hard to actually do that uh, unless you really dive into doing the work, you know. Um, that's what I had to do and that's what you had to do, I suppose, without sort of being supported, um, sort of do, do the hard yards and, and document that and be able to, you know, see your progress and all those sorts of things. Um, but uh, certainly, um, yeah, to be able to have someone guide you uh, can fast track things, you know, quite considerably as well. And, and that's, oh, totally. that, that's totally. important. And I needed someone like you to come along, you know, 10 years ago when, when I was going through this and that never was there. So I had to, um, yeah, dive into it, uh, you know, quite deeply, explore mm. things, get to know myself again. Uh, my relationship ended, uh, you know, uh, throughout that journey. But one thing I realised after all that, um, Michael, was that before I say I love you, I first must understand I, you know. So yeah. I had to really understand who I was. And I guess that's what you had to do as well. You sort of got sort of swept into this um, this uh, religious uh, background, um, which your parents obviously believed in. And then obviously following the, the breadcrumbs that society lays out and uh, follow the yellow brick road to happiness through money. And we find once we get there that it's actually not as good as what uh, they make out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I look, I did that journey as well. And I talk about that in my book about how men, you know, feel that they're going to achieve some semblance of success or significance or security and stability etc etc when they get the things and make the money and drive the car and have the house and and i did all of that just like most men do i did all of that years ago and i was earning you know quarter of a million dollars a year in a corporate job and i had the bmw and i had all the stuff Mm. and do you think i was happy (laughs) (laughs) i was more miserable when i had the stuff than when i didn't yeah. Right. Sounds because we, yeah, because we know it doesn't actually fulfil us. What does fulfil us is that deep sense of meaning and purpose that we have as a man, navigating and traversing life in a way that feels purposeful and feels like we're doing so with an attitude of service and contribution. With you know, a, and also abiding by some really good quality values like integrity and compassion and having some strength and taking responsibility and you know etc etc i could go on but mm. but uh that's what creates fulfillment yeah well absolutely look you've just got to you've, you've really got to like strip everything back you know and, uh, and and just look at what's going on around us um in nature and just see what other 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 things in life are actually doing and you, you go back to tribal times uh, and how people lived there and how it was all about community and um, uh, you know it was it was very foreign to to not be part of that you know but now I suppose people in modern society they're they're separated from their from their from their tribes and their and their people and uh, that's why depression is so high um, and anxiety is so high because we've lost that sense of connection would you agree? Um, I think that's definitely part of it. And I think another big part of it, there's, there's probably three parts to this. That would be one of it, one of them. Another another part to this, I believe, is the fact that back in the day, we talk about tribes and tribal culture and all of that. In those cultures, they had rites of passage for boys. Mm. And those rites of passage meant that he faced himself, right? And he was, and he had to challenge himself emotionally, physically, mentally etc etc before he became a man before it was like 
okay, there's this definite event, there's this event, there's this ritual that happens, and now you're a man. And we don't have that anymore. Generally, what happens in modern society these days is is the rite of passage, some, most of the time for a boy, is the first time he has sex. Mm. And that can be... And that can be quite a confusing experience because depending upon, you know, so many different factors in that experience, that will then determine his level of self-worth, Yeah. right? And then he carries that through with him unconsciously and then projects that into the outside world, into his um, future relationships, into the friendships that he has, into his financial situation, the career that he chooses, and the path that he takes in life. Yeah. So yeah. there's those two things. And the third thing that I will say is what contributes to depression and mental illness in our society is the fact that as young people, we are not educated on how the mind works. Oh, absolutely we're not, not. given yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're not given any <clears throat> excuse me, education at all about the relationship between the conscious and the subconscious mind. We don't understand anything about beliefs. We don't understand anything about paradigms. We're not understanding anything about communication and how to make conscious choices and how to connect with your values and why it's important to have a purpose to life. And you shouldn't just, you know, you shouldn't just enter life unconsciously hoping for the best, uh, you know, but not consciously creating it. And so we don't teach our children this stuff either. So I think it's, is a three-pronged approach here. Um, what you said, rites of passage, and also the fact that the fact that we should be educating our children around just like basic psychology. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I always say, and a lot of people that listen to this podcast would would hear me say repeatedly that we're just educated to support the economy, and that, that's that's what it is. Um, you know, uh, keep them keep them in fear, uh, and uh, we can control them, and. Uh, the human can't really thrive when they've got that mindset, you know. Once the, once once the the, the mind sort of uh, opens up and then the heart starts to speak more, that's when I, I believe we start to get back to the real self. And um, it's really interesting that uh, yeah, the, the school system is still very much in in that mode of um, you know of control. And uh, I feel feel sorry for young guys coming through fifteen to eighteen in schools now where they're sort of so challenged and uh, I wouldn't say challenged uh, in the right way but uh, you know so um, judged on their on their academic capabilities but the heart uh, capabilities aren't really um, you know observed yeah absolutely and then when they start to connect with these other parts of themselves they have no idea what to do with them that's right. And that, that's where the, 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 I was going to say. That's where the feminine sort of side, uh, you know, may 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 come in, but they don't actually understand that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's that, but I think it's also the ability or the lack thereof to be able to process what's actually happening. Mm. So, so we, you, you and I, have both done a reasonable amount of you know inner work over the years, mm. um, and and some some men have, but most haven't. Most haven't, and so, and so this is this is all got to do with the fact that, as you said, our education system and the way society works is it's really what 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 society is really built to do is to create automatons, right? Mm. To create these these uh, flesh and blood beings who will serve the collective. Mm. That's what it's really designed to do, as opposed to encouraging the individual pursuit of purpose and passion. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's where fulfillment comes in, doesn't it? And uh, and the, and the high levels of consciousness of joy and you know gratitude, kindness, all those sorts of things are, are more relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, I can say from personal experience that that when I when I started feeling all of those things that you just described was when I connected with something that felt meaningful for me, something that gave my life purpose. And it was when I decided years ago to work with men and help men through their challenges of life and be there as their, you know, their their advocate, their support, their whatever it is that we want to call ourselves, but just be there as that person that they can go to to help them through whatever stage of life they're going through and give them the tools to empower them and to then to then learn how to create the life that they wish to live, mm. understanding that they have limitless potential and that as long as we can adopt a sense of responsibility and we can act with integrity and we can treat others with compassion and we can do all of these things, which I talk about in the book and in my programs too, mm. there's so much more to it, but that's the beginning. When we can start to do that, then we start to live a life that feels meaningful and fulfilling. Yeah. Beautifully said. I think there's a, an undercurrent in everyone, you know, that wants to, that wants to, to, to you know, come out. Um, and you know, for me, that was, oh, you know, evolving, evolving for years, primarily. And um, um, it was always the doubt that was sort of laid upon me that I couldn't do things that actually kept me stuck. And I guess your programs and that would help people be able to unlock what that actually is and feel confident enough to move through them. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's, it's a foundational process. So we start with the Knight's Code. And, of course, the programs are all named based on, you know, the the brand and everything else that I've created. And mm-hmm. so this is the first the first part is the Knight's Code. And the Knight's Code, as I say in the all the marketing material, it helps you to crack the code of your life, mm-hmm. right, to, and also yourself as an individual. It helps you to really connect with the parts of you that you've never learned or knew how to connect with. Mm-hmm. That's the first step. And then the next stage is the hero's journey, and the hero's journey goes even deeper. And then we start to talk about things like, uh, you know, core values, purpose, self-image, um, relationships, uh, communication, like all these really, really important things, uh, you know. And so, and so there's more after that as well, but they're the main two, the Knight's Code and the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And they're the two that once men have done these, these programs with me or one of my coaches, um, they, they come out the other end and it's a, it's interesting because it is a compounding process over time as they're doing the programs. But what they see, what seems to happen or what does happen is they see changes in their lives on an ongoing basis as they're doing the work. Mm. And not only do they see changes in their intimate relationship in their, you know, in how they show up as a father for their children, their career, their sense of meaning in life, purpose, et cetera, et cetera, all those good things, what really starts to happen is we we facilitate an environment for them where they can go deep within and really understand themselves as an individual. And when we start to become more conscious of who we are and our potential and what we can create in the world and how living with this attitude of service and contribution actually makes a difference out there, mm. not just to ourselves but to others, it is one of the most empowering things and it gives me and my coaches as well so much joy to see these men because you can see when they have a light bulb moment. You can mm. see when it clicks, when all those little 
when all those little pieces of the puzzle start to come together, you can see it happening because they see it in their results in life. And you see it on the Zoom calls and you see it in the workshop. You see when the penny drops. And that for me is like I just live for that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Because it's in that yeah, it's in that in that moment, that moment that creates transformation. Yeah, absolutely. Um I guess you know, there's there's so much in what what you've just said there, but um some of the things that we could have learned when we were at school uh, were probably pretty well summed up there because uh you know rather than sort of uh getting stuck in um in things that don't really inspire us uh there's there's obviously content in what you're doing which actually is really inspiring for individuals to be able to take control and charge of their life with support yeah absolutely and when you think about the kind of world that we live in we live in a world that encourages us just to consume yeah just to consume right and so we have to have all this stuff and we have to be all of these things and we have a society that um, really does not support men mm. it just does not support men and it doesn't support them generally speaking it also doesn't support them to learn about their innate and inherent masculinity yeah yeah right that, and what right. it does do is it encourages them to suppress it and re- re- repress it just to push it all down deny it yeah, that's true, absolutely, yeah. and, and uh, yeah, certainly do that, but also uh, make yourself feel good by consuming temporarily, I guess, at the same time, so it's a, yeah. it's a bit of a catch-22, but once you can break through that, you can actually start to see that the, the beautiful things in life don't really cost anything, and, uh, and they're available for us um, you know, on a daily basis if we uh, have the tools to be able to access that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, uh, you know, another thing that I might say to all of that as well is we don't have to go through this journey of really deep adversity, this real challenging stuff like almost taking your own life mm. or, you know, going on this journey of trying to achieve this undefined version of success and, and never getting there because, A, it's undefined and, B, you don't get pleasure and, you know, fulfilment and happiness from things Um what I would like to say to people listening to this is that, like, you don't have to go on those journeys of 10 years towards undefined success to get the things to then realise that that wasn't the answer and you don't have to get to almost suicide to realise that, you know, you don't have to do that in order to start a journey, mm. to start a journey of self-discovery and really begin to connect with yourself at deeper levels. You've just um, described the introduction of my book. <laughs> it was, oh, cool. it, was yeah. it was exactly exactly that. Well, not in those words, but exactly lo- along those lines. You know, I thought happiness yeah. come from all these things and this, that, and the other, and all of a sudden, I found what the real real meaning of happiness was, and and that's exactly what you've sort of mentioned there. And yeah, that yeah. that's that that's yeah, we're on the same same path, absolutely. Um, with regards oh, to that. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm because I'm, I got to the same stage as you um, where I just, you know, got to that, well, look, uh, it's not worth it anymore if I can't be earning so much money or I haven't got a, a profile or a status with regards to what society expected of me, then, you know, life wasn't worth living. But my kids were the, the foundation for me uh, still being here. And, um, uh, you know, we're, well, I'm so grateful for that. And I guess you are as well because we, we could have, finished our lives before we even got to the stage of having kids because we were sort of caught up in all this um, wash of uncertainty and ego and all those sorts of things. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think, you know, we can even take this to even deeper levels and I love going deeper and deeper and deeper, time permitting, but mm. but um, we can, you know, once you, once you find that sense of contentment and happiness, it's then, okay, cool, is, is this, 
is this it? Like, mm. is this just I'm just going to be content and happy for the rest of my life? Mm. Or do I want to go that one step further? And this is the stuff that I do, right? So happiness is one thing. Fulfillment, meaning and purpose are another thing entirely. That's another level altogether. So yeah. we get to this place of happiness and contentment, which is like take a deep breath and go, I can be happy right now. Nothing changes in my life right now. I'm happy. Mm. I've got my kids. I've got my family. I've got my job or my business that I feel, you know, I'm happy in. But then we step into a different level. And one of the things that I've known that I've discovered about men is that happiness is one thing. Purpose and meaning in life is another entirely. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so... Happiness lasts for as long as it doesn't get boring. And then as soon as it gets boring, we're not happy anymore. Yeah. And so and so this is where meaning and purpose comes in. This is why we have to then strive for something. We've got to have a purpose in life. We've got to create meaning, a reason for us to get up in the morning beyond kids and beyond partner and beyond providing, a reason for us to get up and contribute to the world and create some kind of impact. It only has to be small, but something that helps you to feel meaningful about your life. Because I always say that if you don't get to the end of life and you haven't made the world better beyond being a good quality person, then you have to ask yourself, was that a life well lived? Oh, absolutely, Michael. It's really interesting. Um, I did some work with old men uh, in in an aged care facility just to find that out. You know, to ask them what what was it that gave your life purpose and so forth, and a lot of them, like nine out of ten, couldn't couldn't really answer that. They'd actually lived an unfulfilled life by doing things that they'd yeah. never really had uh, enjoyment with, and and in that particular word, enjoyment, you know, um, yeah. the, the things that they really wanted to do uh, was not not uh, achieved, you know, and um, I, I just I just really believe that we've got the opportunity now to be able to break the cycle of uh, unhappiness and, 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 and unpurposeful lives to be able to do things that really help us be fulfilled and I guess that's not only just for ourselves but everyone else around us benefits from that yeah totally totally I mean look you, you've probably seen my stuff online and my mission is to positively engage the lives of one billion men around the world right mm. and so that's that's a bloody big mission. That's a bloody big mission to to have a some kind of a positive effect on that many people around the world. But you know what that does? Each and every morning, I'm getting up and I come to my office and I'm like, how can I get closer to this goal that mm. feels currently feels unattainable? Mm. And so what do you reckon that does? Then I start to step into more expansive thinking. But Because if I was just thinking... How do I make my suburb better, right, or my family better? Mm. Then I'm, my thinking is going to be limited to these few people in my little community. Mm. But if I then go out to a billion people and I'm looking at that going, oh, that's ridiculous, that's a ridiculous number, then, of course, my thinking is going to be much more expansive. Mm. And so then I'm going to seek to connect with people who are connected with millions of people. And so as a result, it is... It's no wonder that I've connected with people like Jack Canfield, Vishen Lakiani, right, uh, of Mind Valley, and we know we all know Jack Canfield and people like Les Brown. And I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for this big expansive mission, mm. right? And as a result of doing that, we reach more people, and we can have a positive effect on more people. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. 
It's just, yeah, uh, you've got to have the drive, Michael. I, I really, I mean this uh, in the right manner. You've got to have the drive and purpose and all those sorts of things. But being able to come home and rest, I, I believe this is my my thing to be able to help guys in general be able to, to, to rebalance the nervous system so they can become more self-aware so they're not, you know, they haven't got the amygdala activated all the time and they're not in the sixth gear to be able to come yeah. back to centre, you know, consistently so you can come home. So your body is not tense all the time. You can actually have that uh, that sense of um, sense of equilibrium within yourself. I think that's really, really important. So my, my journey was very much like yours, um, but I sort of took a, a sideways step into um, the meditation, the yoga and that type of thing to be able to help, um, you know, people in, in that way as well. So it all sort of intertwines in, in roundabout ways, yeah. It, it absolutely does. And look, I'm not going to pretend to say, and nor would I advocate being on 24-7, right? Yeah, I would never good. advocate that. And I've got my own practices to bring me back into myself. And, you know, that's meditation and yoga and, you know, and I and I work out at the gym as well. Like there's, there's just things that I do. I have morning routines. I have bedtime routines. And so there's all of this stuff to ensure that, my amygdala is not always activated, mm. right? And then I'm not always on, and my body is not in a high state of alert all the time. Um, but you learn that balance over time. You yeah. learn that balance and you learn how to integrate everything in brief moments as well. Like even when I'm at the office and I'm doing this cool stuff, I then every hour or two hours I'll sit and I'll just breathe. Yep, great. And I'll get back into myself, into my body again. Right, and you practice all of these things, and you get good at it, and you find then you operate at higher levels, and you can actually manage more in life. Oh, absolutely! Um, it's 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 so important. Uh, we've all seen uh, seen guys that have uh, had strokes and had all these sorts of things happen because they've put too much energy into one particular thing. But having these tools and balances, um, you know, is really important as well. So it's great that you um, that you acknowledge and. You know, really uh, honour that uh, as well, which is tremendous. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, so I never want to live my life on all the time. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I, I agree. I, I've been, uh, been down that path too, mate, and I'm fully aware of what, where it can take us. So, mate, I'm really grateful for your time to be able to, you know, share your journey with us and and the beautiful work you're doing now. How can people get hold of you if they want to uh, touch base? Oh, that's awesome, Aaron. Thank you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. It's been good. Um, and they, anybody can reach me at forgingexcalibur.com.au. And, and I'm also all over social media, just under Michael Laurier, L-A-U-R-I-A, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. And they've just recently set up a TikTok account as well. Which oh, I- God. Yeah, right. God, I haven't got anywhere near that. And I, I don't know whether which I will. Which be. I won't be using. <laughs> no shit, no, no. It's uh, yeah, it can only be one after the other, I suppose. This sort of stuff, but um, yeah, mate. So if you got someone to help you out with it, even better. So that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a very good team, which I'm very grateful for. Mate, I'm really grateful for um, for our chat, and I'm sure we're going to have more in the future. Um, I really encourage people out there to, to have a look at your beautiful work and how you might be able to help them um, you know, break some shackles and uh, and and you know, live their best lives at the end of the day. Thanks, Aaron. It's been a good chat. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining in. Really interesting, Michael, and his journey and sort of where he's got to now is very confident and inspiring with regards to what he does. And I'm sure 
you know, if you're looking to go down the path of, of finding a pathway to uh, to move forward, some of the programs I, I, I think he's doing and I've observed what he's doing, it, it's really, really good. So um, check out his website and um, yeah, if you, you want to um, uh, get any, uh, any other information or um, sort of uh, thoughts on, on, on my um, experience, um, you know, please send me an email, uh, support at outbackmind.com.au. I'm happy to have a chat. Um, and just my website, outbackmind.com.au, which is going through an overhaul at the moment. So uh, bear with that one. And um, there's still some information on there you can access if you want to, want to check it out. But uh, really grateful for Michael for his, uh, for his conversation tonight. And uh, yeah, lots of heartfelt stuff in there, which um, you know, he's doing some trivia things. So I encourage you just to check out uh, his work. Thanks very much, guys. Beyond uh, in a couple of days with another terrific uh, guest to give you some uh, information around sleeping better, which is going to be a great conversation. So hope to tune in and I um, hope you can tune in and uh, yeah, keep uh, sharing the podcast with some, uh, some friends and uh, family out there. I'll be really grateful. Thanks very much. Cheers.